What's up, folks? My guest today is Arnold Bjorn, a hospitality leader, brand builder, and community connector. He is the founder of With Warm Welcome and the co-founder of Malm. His purpose and passion is in amplifying fellow Asian founders through experiential storytelling, event activations, and branded partnerships. I had the pleasure of meeting Arnold in one of my first visits to Atomics in New York City. Check that out on the This Place Called video that got posted on my channel, the Justin Kana YouTube channel, if you haven't seen that yet. It's a full recap on that entire meal because that's where Arnold got some stellar hospitality experience in addition to working at restaurants like Boulay, 11 Madison Park, and more. And in this episode, we discuss leadership in hospitality, why branding is so important, funny restaurant stories that he has through working with professionals like Will Gadara, and just so many more dot points. I really, really respect Arnold as just an entrepreneur and taking his hospitality experience and continuing to build with it. If at any point you want to pause, you want to check out Arnold online, Maum with Warm Welcome, his podcast, or any of the specific linkable things that we discussed, please do check those out in the show notes, which are always available in the description of this podcast. But before we get into it, this episode is sponsored by a flagship course from my company, Repertoire. It's all about performance in professional kitchens, and it's called Total Station Domination. That is the phrase that a lot of you folks DM me about. You, you, you'll tag me in a photo on Instagram when your station's all perfectly set up and you say hashtag TSD, I made a whole course about it and I couldn't be more stoked about how this really takes you through the skills to be a high performer that it took me years to learn. And it's not to say that it won't take you years to develop these, but I just want to give them to you straight from the jump. And basically the way that it's structured is video lessons complete with a workbook full of worksheets, case studies that I discuss from real restaurant situations. And then I also have options now to upgrade your experience with live exercises as well as group coaching with me. Plus, every student, regardless of if you upgrade or not, gets access to a private online student community so you don't have to go it alone. I know for me, there were times when I felt incredibly lonely in professional kitchens, and that doesn't happen with Total Station Domination. You're always supported every step of the way. You can check out the link in the description or check out joinrepertoire.com slash TSD. You will be all the more ready to finally achieve Total Station Domination. Thanks so much for being with me. Here we go with Arnold. Arnold, thank you for coming on the show. It's really a joy to see you, obviously not in person, but after it's probably been like a year and a half at least since we've seen each other. Yes, it's been a year and a half and what a year and a half it's been for everybody. With the date, I'm going to put a timestamp on it. It's October 3rd, 2022 as a snapshot for folks. You think a ton about brand building, which is to, in my mind, inherently future thinking. I'm really curious to hear what your kind of state of the union is for hospitality right now. If you had to just kind of give an overview of where what, what you're thinking about. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm in a much different place than a year and a half ago. I was working at a restaurant called Atomix in New York City. We were, everything was working out for us. We had amazing collaborations lined up, but obviously we had to reschedule a lot of those. They're finally doing it now you know, a year and a half later, which is amazing to see from afar. But I think hospitality, at, at the, the way it is, we all thought like it was going to change. But to be completely honest with you, I don't think much has changed. In fact, people have really doubled down on operate, opening up new locations. I think those that survived the pandemic, I mean, I know we're kind of in it still, but when the, those that really survived the 
the heart of it, they've actually expanded. They've opened up a new location. They're growing and it's, it's cool and amazing to see. Unfortunately, on the other side of that, we saw a lot of restaurants that you could say maybe didn't deserve to make it through for XYZ reasons. But I think it kind of sorted out the industry quite a bit. And those that are still here are here for good reason. And I can say that about my former team too. They're opening up a new restaurant, Rockefeller. Crazy development, by the way, happening at Rockefeller. Everyone should definitely keep tabs on that. But I think you should be faithful. I think people should be excited. I know for a fact that it's really hard to get a reservation in New York right now. <laughs> Everyone yeah. is dining out. 5 p.m. slots are popular. Early dinners have become popular. So people's habits have changed with the pandemic. Early dinners are like the hottest thing. So dining out, um, I think, will always be something that's in demand. Obviously, it's pent up demand because we couldn't. We also see like big box restaurants opening up too, just insane. So it's a really interesting time actually to be in the hospitality industry. And for me, since I'm not in a restaurant anymore, I'm, I'm kind of just admiring it from afar. But kudos to everyone that's made it out. I, I, I think it's going to get better and better. Hotel prices have more or less come back pre-COVID prices, if not higher. So I would say the industry is in a pretty good place right now, interestingly enough. When you think about the differences in hospitality, dining out culture, chef communities between New York and L.A., it seems like you're new to L.A. What, what have you noticed there? Relatively new. I've been here for two years now, actually. So, But obviously, that two years, it's, it's, it's been with COVID. Um, the differences? Is that, is, was that your kind of question? Yeah, just if, if there are differences, similarities, I think that a lot of folks, there's a, there's a project that's happening right now in LA and it's kind of being built and they're sharing how it's being built. It's called Habit Chew. It's Marcus Jermark mm. and Robert Sandberg. And I mm. would have thought them coming off of a project like working at Fronson and being there mm -hmm. when it went from two stars to three stars, I would have probably called New York as the place where they were going to go because Marcus had experience mm. in New York, but they chose LA. You have people like Dave Barron saying, I'm going to move to LA. And so- I guess, what are you noticing in LA that might be different from New York? Maybe there's similarities and, you know, it's actually a viable city to go to in a way that it wasn't, I would say, in like 2012-ish era. No, I love that you brought this up. Obviously, the New York versus LA will always be the hottest topic in now versus Shake Shack and this and that. <laughs> and I think you just have rabid fans on both sides and it's always going to be a fun topic to talk about. So my take on it, you know, being here for two years is it's just a completely different beast entirely. It's hard to compare the two. And in fact, if you try to compare the two, you won't make it out here. And if you try to bring a lot of that New York swagger in the way it was, you're not going to make it. You just look at Nomad as an example. They put a lot of money in that project. Gone. You know, there's a new one that just opened up called Perla. They're the ones that took over the Nomad Hotel. But I think you just have to be very cautious and sensitive to the L.A. dining scene because it's just different, man. It's not people are not going out dressing up or like a 14 seat counter like Automix. You know, I actually think Automix might not do very well here in comparison to New York just because price point, you have, to, you have to be sensitive about that. So for me, I love being in LA because to your point, I do see a lot of transplants like myself that move back either home or they just get camped here in LA. So you have a lot of fresh new talent in LA and uh, the dining seat is, is incredibly interesting. And I think just given the population that's here, a lot of Koreans, a lot of Latinos, a lot of like minority groups that have, you know, immigrated here to begin with. Like we have the biggest Thai town, for example. Thai food is amazing in LA. It's a really fascinating dining city. But again, I, I just think that you have to take into consideration that LA people are not New York people. You know, it's, it's 
different mindset, man. Like I go to I go to bed at like 10 p.m. now. It's just ridiculous. But like I like those early dinners. I like brunches. You know, it's just it changes you just the, the weather and everything. You to touch a bit on your restaurant experience, you strike me as someone who crushed it at the restaurants you worked at, just like organized and personable and just great team dynamics. It seems like you caught on to leadership relatively quickly, but I met you when you were experienced, right? People say the same thing about me. Sometimes it's like, Oh, well I see that you've worked in these places. They didn't see when I was really not good in the, in the kitchen as a Comey or as an early chef to partie. I, I wanted to talk to you about your experience in Michelin kitchen specifically and the first question is, do you look back fondly at those kitchen or at those restaurants that you worked in? I, some people don't have the best relationships with those memories. Do, do you look back fondly at those times? I love your questions. I think restaurant experience will always forever be ingrained in your DNA, especially if you work in the fine dining level. There's certain things that you learn. I can't speak too much on the kitchen because obviously I kind of came up through the front of house. And also the closest I got was expediting at 11 Madison, which was an amazing experience, honestly. I think it just changes you fundamentally as a person in terms of like how you live your life, your outlook on life, organized you have to be. Like I'm sitting in my store that I just opened and everything just has to be like linear and lined up and organized. So I do look fondly on those things in terms of just that mentality that I think you build over time, it's like going to a camp or graduate school. You know, I always told myself that Levin Madison Park was my graduate program. I did a hospitality program at NYU, and as soon as I graduated, that's that's where I went next. But um, So I do look fondly on it. Obviously, there are things that I don't miss, which are obviously just the hours, being on your feet for so long. But I think that when I was in it i enjoyed it looking back i have no regrets i think it made me the person that i am to your point always been interested in leadership but expediting at 11 madison made me who i am today you know because when you're expediting at any kitchen but specifically emp like you really have to hold your ground and even if you don't know what you're doing you just have to be extra confident because if you look a little confused it's just a shit you know every everyone is gonna on paddock mode so you have to be cool calm collected it's all okay things are going to work out and i think that kind of you know aura that kind of air i think has has really helped a lot for me kind of post restaurant industry you know i i work with a lot of personalities right now and different people but incredible experience and it's, it's translated very well for me yeah post restaurant work it was going to be kind of my follow-up question, but you touched on a couple of those points. I'd be curious if more come to mind because I was going to ask what are the qualities that exemplify or you look for in a high performer in one of those environments? You talked about level-headedness. You talked about just calm under pressure. There's an organization element to it. People are looking to you to kind of set the energy, especially on an expediting station. Anything else that you look for? And, you know, you can speak to that person who potentially got their first expediting role, what you would advise them to keep in mind in a position like that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those fundamental leadership qualities I, I learned early on, which is, especially if you're in a state of like mentoring somebody or you're on the receiving end of it, if you're in the receiving end of it, being as open-minded as possible, just receiving all the information from all the different people and perspectives that's around you, number one. Don't talk back. Just say yes. We just listen initially. There's no need to like prove yourself. There's no need to tell someone that they're wrong. There's really no need for that when you're really getting your feet wet. Just got to absorb it like a sponge. And then from a mentoring side, when you're trying to grow somebody, 
obviously you don't want to criticize them in public should be done in private it's amazing how simple it may seem when you hear these things but when you have pressurized situations it just kind of goes out the window so i think that this is very important it's just to your point again just that triple c right cool calm collected it's gonna get you far and you know i hate the saying fake it till you make it but it's kind of true it's a, it's all about being confident so either way i think at the end of the day that's that's what matters the most and you know if there's something that you believe in as a person you know you have be honest be good that's that's really it man i think it's important to really hold on to those simple morals and values well that becomes the test right it's like oh well i can keep it cool calm and collected when we have 25 covers on a tuesday night it's like cool dude but like that's not the point you know like it's when you have 95 people coming in and it's like the allergies are crazy or there's a vip oh, know, on the table whatever like that's right. when you need to show it right. you know uh, well there there's times when there's like when you do the 25 covers and they actually be it ends up being like the, your hardest night because every right. table has some sort of allergy or aversion so you know you never know you always got to be ready for it everyone knows the you touched on this too the the front of house back of house dynamic you even made it a point to kind of like say i've spent time in front of house i'm not a, a kitchen person which i super appreciate it's not a, it's not a call out it's just there is this dynamic that, that there are different roles there's different responsibilities there are different positions and you've led front of house teams before you've worked with kitchens that put out incredible food i know that you've talked previously about the importance of letting your staff taste the food that's coming off of the menu just because that doesn't always happen but you can either speak to the front of house professional you can talk to the chef how do you make that relationship more mutually beneficial between front of house, back of house? Yeah, and no, I appreciate you doing your research and homework. I think it's just this never ending conversation as well, like the New York versus LA conversation. I honestly thought that EMP would, I'm not saying that they're not as good as they used to be, but I thought that relationship was what made that restaurant so successful between Will and Chef Daniel, because they're the best at, at what they do, you Facts. know, arguably, arguably. Mm -hmm. And so when they split up, it was like the biggest split I've ever, I've really felt it personally because they're the ones that showed me that it works, that symbiotic relationship. But I think after that did not work out, pan out the way it, it should have, in my opinion, I look at Atomix, husband and wife. And now I'm looking and thinking, you know what? Some of these successful restaurants have that husband and wife duo. Typically don't want to generalize or stereotype, but that's the case, right? Like the, the husband or the, the male is usually in the kitchen. Female is doing administrative work, relationship building. And the reason why that works, in my opinion, is because they both stand in their own lane. And I think for any successful partnership, whether in the restaurant industry or just business in general, is identifying your strengths and weaknesses and then agreeing like, hey, this is your territory. This is your domain. You do that. And this is what I'm going to do. And, this is, and we're not going to argue about this. We're going to empower each other because I trust you, you trust me, you know? So that has worked. Will you? Will we see someone else like Will come to the forefront? I'm shocked that after Will's success, and it's not to say that there aren't other talented front of house folks in the industry, but man, to see someone genuinely build a celebrity status on being a front of house person, there are a few other examples that I can point to in the industry that made an impact like, he has and he has his welcome conference now and he has a book coming out i i would i i'd cheer it on man like i want to see more of those front of house quote unquote celebrities like we have celebrity chefs front of house celebrities whatever the name will, will be coined that 
one that does so many things, right? It gives the chef someone to latch onto because otherwise, for whatever reason, that responsibility can sometimes fall on the chef. Two, it helps the rest of that front of house team rally behind whoever that mm. industry leader is, that thought leader is. I want to go mm. work for Will, you know, versus mm. oh well, I work front of house at insert mm. restaurant that happens to be nice. Number three. I don't know if you agree with this, but there's a there's a common stereotype that the thing that takes a restaurant from two stars to three stars is the service. So, like, we should mm-hmm. be prioritizing the heck out of high-quality mm-hmm. service dynamics. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. Where, where does your head go there thinking about, like, the celebrity front-of-house person? I think it's a dying breed. I think they're extinct. I think they're very undervalued. And the reason why I kind of opened up the interview saying that I'm a front-of-house guy is because... You know, a lot of people, when they assume that I work in restaurants, like, oh, you were a chef. Oh, there's so many different things and roles that go into a restaurant. But I think even now you look at Top Chef, right? And Iron Chef came back. It's just further incentivizing chefs to have this big ego. And I think ego is always the problem. Like everyone wants, everyone has a big ego. So it's, it's, it, that's not the heart of the issue. It's really sad to see because back in the day in New York, yeah, you're right. Actually, the front of house guy was more valuable than the chef. Like all the chefs wanted to go work for Serio, you know? And like there were these figures and celebrities would latch onto them, right? Your, your old MDs, like Maynard D's, like they were the man. But nowadays it's kind of like a, you know, I, I, that was my label too. And unfortunately it's kind of lost its luster. People think of it as like a lead host, which is so different from, from what it, the role entails. But oh. it's, it's tough to say, I think that just the generation that we live in now, we do highly value chefs, as we should, because they're skilled. But to your point, I think what really gets a restaurant over that hump, and you see a lot of two Michelin star restaurants stay in that too, is they just don't have the extraordinary service. Because for me, and this is kind of a controversial statement, I believe that if you train yourself, you can be a good cook over time. Okay, I'm not saying that if you... You can train yourself to be a good cook. However, being a front of house person, you can train yourself. But there's something like inherently that you have this like sixth sense almost where you know what someone needs in advance ahead of time. And, and that becomes like the wow factor. That's what's going to get your restaurant over that hump. But um, again, then it just goes back to like, I'm better than you. You don't, you need me. I don't need you, this and that. So it's, it's, yeah, never ending. It- if someone feels like they have that, 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 you know, it, it's in them, that the, there's, there's that bone there. How are there practices that you've seen that help cultivate that or grow that or improve that? And I'm talking about the hospitality skill that you have that sixth sense and you can feel that you have it, or you've seen examples in your career of being able to display it. Can you improve that? I think you can improve it because with all things, uh, with practice, you could, you could definitely get better. I think it's also up to the restaurant culture, to your point, having a thought leader, like an individual that represents that excellence in the restaurant, I think is incredibly important because when I look to Will, you know, I used to, so when Will comes in, he usually comes with, when they were still together, him and Chef, they always sit at a corner table together. It's just the two of them. They come in like once a quarter just to QC, make sure everything is, you know, up to their standard. I was always put on that team, you know, to, to service that table. And I remember it was like my second or third month in and Will kind of motions over to me. Hey, you know, is everything all right? Do you need anything? And he's like, 
hey, that table needs to be straighter. And this dude is like halfway into his meal. What it seems like he's just like really into this conversation and having a great time, but actually he was also observing the entire dining room down to the point that I had not straightened this table. And I think having that presence alone makes you want to get better, do better. So I think it's possible, but you need that mentor. You need that individual that, that sh- exemplifies that, exemplifies it on the daily. So very important. You told this story once that I that I was listening to, and and I have a follow up question. So I'm gonna I'm gonna set the stage for the for the listener here. So you you you, you were working at Boulay, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on any of these details from the story, but you yeah, yeah, kind of get thrust into your first management position after your manager left and goes to school yeah. and the the listener who's worked in the industry for a while knows that this is sometimes how it happens it's not this long trajectory towards getting a management position it's sometimes like hey so and so didn't show up today or hey so and so is leaving like tomorrow you need to jump into the the position but you talk about getting that position paved the way for you to get positions at much higher caliber places down the line. And it's not to say that Boulay is a bad place, but like you had a leadership position at a Michelin kitchen on your resume, and that kind of allowed for other things to happen in the future for yourself. So my question is in regards to this kind of inquiry that I get sometimes, which is, you know, Justin, working for free is never worth it. it, it regardless of the name of the place, it, 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 it's, it's not worth it for me to like go there and, and, and whatever, whatever. And then I have people who say on the other side of it, they're like, Justin, I heard somebody talk about this working for free thing. So I, I just wanted to reach out and say, I'm so excited. I just got my year long stage. And no, 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 no. Don't do that either. <laughs> you know? So, so, so <laughs> it's like, I want to talk, I want to, I want to hear you talk about the non-monetary value of experience and how people should prioritize that in their career. Cause it's not always about how much money you're making. Yeah. And I think you just have to have an angle, right? Like what is it that you want and like, how can you, how can you get there? Like have some sort of pinpoint. It doesn't have to be like, I want to open my restaurant, but like, for example, I want to be a restaurant manager. I want to be a sous chef. Okay. So like, what are the steps that you can take to get there? So I think always having some sort of like checkpoint in your career will help you assess that. Cause when you don't have a guiding North star, you're always going to just work for free here, work for free there. Like, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's just, I've seen this happen way too many times. You need to know, like, give yourself, okay, I want to be a sous chef in five years. Okay. So how are you, how are you going to get there? Next question is just feasibility. Obviously you can't be homeless and work in a restaurant. Like you want to make sure you're, you're able to pay for a roof over your head. So if you can decide what is the, the amount every month, every week that I need to get paid to like get by, then that's okay. Like, for example, you know, this specific role that I had at Boulay, I was still in, in college at the time. I was 20 years. My peers thought I was doing really well. Like I was getting paid six figures to manage this mission star restaurant. No, dude, like I was not doing well. I was, I was eating dollar slice pizzas for lunch every day. I had McDonald's after work every night. Like it's all just a show. Right. And to that end, it's not about the glitz and glamor. I always say this whenever I talk to new people coming into the restaurant industry, like, please don't get into it for that to be famous or, or to, you know, to show off that you're in the wrong industry. This is the worst industry to be showing off because people have this, people that are having in this industry, we have this BS radar and we, we pick it up real quick. Like, okay, this guy is not cut out for this job or for this industry. So, you know, to your point, I think it's, you got you to gotta make sure you cover those bases. Well, how much do I need to get paid? 
And if you don't get paid at your stage, is there another workaround that, right? Where you can work somewhere else for a little bit. But experience is number one. I will say that experiences and where you work, that's going to get you far to wherever you need to go. But again, like have a position in mind. And if you have a restaurant in mind that you want to work at, even better. Like that's, that's, that's amazing. So those things I think are, are key. I want all of you folks to crush it at work. But if you're in an environment where you feel like growth is hard to come by, it can be frustrating, especially considering that you're probably sacrificing a lot to be in your current position. Just hoping that someone will teach you the skills required to improve can feel like crossing your fingers and holding your breath. And you waste months or even years with that strategy. To solve this problem, I just relaunched my completely free five-day kitchen productivity challenge, taking content from my full course, Total Station Op- and structuring it in a way that gets sent straight to your inbox, again, absolutely free. If you want skills that I've used in high-caliber kitchens to push myself beyond where I thought my limits are, there's a link in the description of this podcast where you can sign up. I hope you're enjoying this episode so far. Let's dive back in. I want to kind of make a bit of a transition into what you're working on now. And and the, the point that's going to help us bridge that is talking about pop-ups. Because the uh, another subsection of the listeners of this show get excited about pop-ups, whether it's attending them to get inspiration, whether it's you know helping a chef friend of theirs who's hosting one of theirs, or it's hosting one of them their their own when they're wanting to do it on a day off or in anticipation of launching their own concept. And I'm less interested in having you explain what a pop-up is or convincing someone to do one. But let's say I'm someone who's got three pop-ups under my belt. I've done a few already. I understand what's required. What are some optimizations that you and your team do when you're thinking about a pop-up that might give the listener a bit of a leg up or that you've really incorporated into your process now where you're like, every time we do a pop-up, we have to do this because it's so valuable. I think you actually wrote an article on pop-ups that was really excellent about how it's not just like it just happens in a day. There's actually a lot of time before and after the pop-up. And I, I remember reading that article and thinking, that's right. <laughs> like People assume that it just happens overnight. And it's, it's easy to, right? But to optimize a pop-up, which is usually anywhere from like one day to a month to three months to even up to a year, I think the biggest thing that we do, and we do a monthly pop-up every month, like we have this flea market that we produce in Los Angeles where we gather Asian artisans. So they make jewelry, ceramics, flowers, art, you name it, we have it. And they show up to our pop-ups every month. The way to optimize, and and this is how I think about it, is usually for me, the concept or space comes first. And Danny Meyer had a really great quote on this. And I think I read it in his book way back when about how he came up with concepts for his restaurants. And I think it was along the lines of like, he created around either the location, the chef or the concept. I think those were the three categories he thinks about when he, you know, creates a new restaurant concept. And I kind of think about that too in the problems that I do is like, what is the central theme? I have kind of a marketing mind. So I also think from a food media perspective, like if I wrote for Eater, why would I want to write about this? Why would I want to cover this? Why would I want to put this in my AM Intel? So I think thinking about even like all of that will help you optimize the pop-up. I think you need to really remove yourself actually from that position and think about the customer. Think about, again, food media, because you're not going to have a successful pop-up you don't have people coming up there's no point it's going to be worthless so you have to think about that and kind of create the pop-up around that not pop up and then how do i get people it's like what do the people want you know what what is it that they want what is it that they need what's the problem and how can i solve it and pop-ups are those platforms for you to test out those solutions and if it works out 
amazing. Like, you know, you go out and find a brick and mortar or whatever you need to do. But I think people are just thinking, thinking of it entirely wrong and approaching it wrong, where they just literally think about the pop-up. It's like everything around that is so important. <laughs> you know, like the pop-up itself is like the least important. It's, it's always going to come down to the community and the demand. So, yeah. Well, people might think about it from the sense of like, oh, well, I'm going to be there. Or it's like, it's all about me. And, and, and it's kind <laughs> yeah, of like, yeah, yeah. like it, that's already Regardless, baked in. Yeah. Like, that's assumed. That's assumed that you're going to be there. So it's like, what, what, what else is there going to be? That's so funny that you I, say that. I agree with you, man. It's not, it's not about the individual, like, like you said. And uh, I mean, if people are thinking that way, they got to check themselves. They got to check that's the right. door because you're going to have a pretty failure. You brought this up. A huge aspect of your work is amplifying Asian entrepreneurship, which I think is incredible. I'd love for you to talk about it, was there a moment when you decided that that was going to be something that you decided to prioritize? Maybe talk about why it's important to you. And then I'd also love for you to talk about what folks get wrong about empowering founders and makers, because every tech product, everything in the creator economy, Shopify's thing is like, well, we're empowering people. And it's like, what does that mean to you? Yeah. The reason why I kind of started to lean more on the Asian community is because, you know, coming up through the ranks in, in the restaurant industry in New York, I noticed a very peculiar common thread, which was there's so many Asians at like the mid-management level. A lot of DOs were Asians that I've had. And not until recently, a lot of like the actual owners, chef owners or, you know, restaurant owners were predominantly white. I could say the same for like a kitchen structure. Always like the head chef would be white, sous chef. There's totally so many Asian sous chefs. It's kind of crazy. But like that kind of dynamic always made me wonder like what, what's going on? You know, you, you start to like look around, you're like, hey, the guys that look like me are always like doing the same thing. And why have we not broken that barrier? We should be already on top right now. And I noticed that restaurateurs are popping up at the time, like this is three, four years ago. And I noticed that they were not getting the media coverage. I couldn't, I couldn't find anything on them. No one was covering their stories. And so that kind of, yeah, that kind of, I'm going to say empowered here, but like empowered me to to start with Warm Welcome, which helps tell those stories of Asian restaurant owners, Asian chefs, because I think sometimes it takes somebody to have walked that path or understand the challenges and tribulations of being an Asian immigrant to help tell that. So I felt like I could be the person to do that, given obviously I'm Asian, but I have the restaurant industry experience. I think there's a lot of personalities. And this is, and this is why you're so good at this. There's so many media personalities that don't have the hands-on experience and it's easily visible when they talk about these things so that's why i started it and in terms of empowering yeah it's a sticky word i, I feel like it's gotten overused quite a bit i think that's why i've kind of like leaned on to amplify but to like cut you. through the noise man like that that's a that's a better that's a better if it's a better word totally use it but i i, I don't know man i i, I, I roll it, you're right people roll their eyes when they hear it now because it's like yeah what does that mean or you're saying it because you want to be perceived as being helpful but like what are you actually doing and that's what stands mm. out to, so much about your your stuff is that you are actually like anyways keep going keep going no, no, no. I appreciate you like making that, that distinction because I think in business as well, a lot of the, the big companies like to latch on to certain ideas and things and borrow those words for a different reason or for maybe to have a different agenda in mind. I think the biggest thing that comes to mind, and I'm just going to put them on blast, is I think DoorDash did a magazine recently. I forget what it's called. It was, I just I didn't really like it, but like it was about Asian chefs and Asian restaurateurs. It was like the first 
magazine. I guess they're running a magazine now. But DoorDash, and actually one of the co-founders is Asian, but that's not the problem. The problem is how much percentages that these three platforms take from you, right? And here we are, like we're empowering our operators by putting them in a magazine. So I think the context is important. I will say that I think consumers are getting smarter and smarter and they understand and they're able to cut through the noise too. Like they'll, they'll see that. And I see a lot of backlash on that magazine because of the fact that it was produced by DoorDash, which is a multi-billion dollar company for being the middleman between restaurant and consumer. So not much to say, as, as although I think it's important that the people that do it right, like we, ha- we have to be the ones that are continuously holding it holding that to our standard. I think that's something I try to, you know, think about a lot is if I'm amplifying Asians I, and I'm using, I'm using that term, then I have to be responsible for showing a diverse set of Asian faces. So not just Korean, Japanese, Chinese, but like Cambodian, Indian, Southeast Asian. Yeah. Whenever you're using a word like empower or amplify, I think you should really live up to it. Not just for someone else, but for yourself. So that's just something I guess I want to put out on the airwaves is if you're going to use that word, make sure you're, you're living it to that standard. When I see your content, your marketing materials, your projects, your branding, it's incredibly aesthetic. So this is like partially me just paying you a compliment. Like your stuff always looks so good. Thanks, man. <laughs> where, where, where does that come from? Was, was there a learning curve there? Did you just find incredibly talented artists and graphic designers to work with? I guess like talk to the folks about why that's important because mm. chefs, chefs often fall into this camp of like, oh, I'll just put it out there or like it'll almost be like tongue in cheek, not looking good because it's like, oh, well, it's, it's kind of scrappy. But man, I look at your stuff and it, it's so polished and, and it just, it, it's, it's almost like a preemptive, a preempt, a, a preview of the experience that you're going to get at mm. one of your projects. So can you talk a little bit about why good branding is important? Yeah, good branding is really important, especially if you want to cut through the noise and cut through the competition that's out there in the industry. There's so many options and selections that a consumer can choose from. And I think the first thing that consumers look at without even thinking about it is the branding, how it looks. And unfortunately, that's just the society that we live in. I look at book covers these days. I, not these days. I, I've always looked at book covers first because <laughs> that's what appeals to me first. In terms of good design, for me, I think growing up, I've always had an interest in it. So I always used to read books about typography and logos. And just that was my interest growing up. And then when I was able to apply it was I took this computer class in high school. And a lot of the projects revolved around Adobe Illustrator. Adobe Photoshop and things like that. So I picked it up then. I actually still do most of the designs myself, like all the with warm welcome, graphics, posters, all of it, I I produce myself, I design it. And I think that's really important to know. You don't have to be good at it, but I do think the Adobe suite of programs is so important because if you wanna put your idea into reality or execute it, it's nice when you yourself know how to do that rather than relying on somebody. And that's something I think as an entrepreneur, I'm trying to get better at is you kind of have to do everything. You have to at least know how everything works for things to function. So I just take a lot of responsibility in that. So I actually really highly encourage people to learn the basics of the Adobe programs, or if not get a little bit more computer literate, you know, (laughs) I've worked with a lot of chefs in my lifetime and a lot of them just don't want to touch technology. Like they're, they, they hate technology. 
And I get it, but like, hey, man, it's it's just the world we live in is so different now. Yeah, you'll box yourself in. It's yeah. like one of those if where your skill set lies is in the kitchen alone, you'll you'll spend almost all the time in the kitchen. But if you can take yeah. a step back and design design the menu for the for the pop up, like you'll you'll be able to do that, and then. You know, that, that I have a hard time believing that won't pay off for you later in your career. Because mm-hmm. what I've told folks is like, you might not be the graphic designer in the business. But if and when you hire a graphic designer, having the ability to evaluate their performance, that's the, that's the game. That's the whole game, really. Yeah. There are folks, uh, this is perfectly segues, there, there are folks that have resumes that, for all intents and purposes, sound similar to yours. Front of house manager at high-performing restaurant but not all of them developed all the other skills that you have so like i'm curious was there a moment where you saw someone where you're like oh they started here but then they became an entrepreneur by at stacking all these other skills on top of each other or was it your observation of the world just slowly changing changing over time and you were like oh well i better kind of like just start to stack these other skills i'm just so curious because i'm the same i started making a youtube cooking show when i was executive sous chef mm. at a restaurant in europe like that was freaking weird man and so it was like where 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 how did that happen for you yeah but in hindsight were you glad that you did that oh my god it completely transformed not just my career but but my life like the opportunities to get to talk to people and and help folks i mean like there's a selfish element of like you know, I'm not in, in in a kitchen prepping 30 kilos of cod every single day like I used to. But then there's also like the DMs I get, man, is just it, it, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Like the, the people who mm. get value from the stuff and step outside their comfort zone and do something that they didn't think was possible before. Or they make the move to a city that they're really jazzed about or they just made a really cool dish that finally made the menu. They've been on the sidelines for a while. Yeah, man. Like yeah. no regrets. Zero. Nice. So I think this is key. I think for me, if you work at a high-performing restaurant that has name value that people recognize it instantly, make sure you're squeezing every ounce of being associated to that restaurant, like every little ounce, because you're doing yourself no favor by making that your entire life. And in fact, that's very toxic, unhealthy. You will burn out. You will quit in like six months. You have to latch onto a restaurant and from there do yourself a favor and, and create something for yourself, like some space for yourself, whether it's a YouTube channel, whether it's a podcast. I'm the same way, man. When I was at Automix, that's when I started with One Welcome as a podcast. Are you kidding? That's how I got my foot in the door. Hey, I work at Automix. You can talk to me. I'm a restaurant guy. We'll be friends. We'll be fine. So the, this is the key that I think a lot of people in the industry don't latch onto. It's like you have to make that time for yourself to – take advantage of the situation, I'm sorry to say, but even as an employer now, and I have employees, I want them to not just do the bare minimum, but it's like, I actually want them to take advantage of the fact that they're associated with my brand because that says so much about what you've built, right? If you're a Will or Daniel at EMP and you see all these amazing restaurants that are opening up and it says like EMP alumni, Nomad alumni, like I'd be so proud of myself for growing that family tree. So, yeah, I, I just think that's something that people need to hear is you have to go the extra mile um, if you want to sustain yourself, if you want to make a name for yourself. Like, you got to do it both simultaneously, too, like you and I have. Like, you can't just – there's just there's just no way. So, yeah, I think especially in this age, it's all about, like, you can even just create an Instagram page. There you go. You have your own brand, you know? So 
it's really easy, man. It's just you, you gotta want to have it. When this is kind of my last question before we get into some rapid fire ones. When you think about projects that you're launching, collaborating with, bringing from zero to one in the world, how do you f- define success with those projects? Success, I think, is is so relative. But for me personally, I think it's when an X amount of people show up and actually enjoy the experience. One of the things I try to do is there's there's a feedback option that you can enable on Talk, where 24 hours after that service or pop-up or event, it automatically triggers a feedback and it warrants feedback. And I, I know it's pretty elementary, but I think that always listening to people is, is very important regardless of like wherever you are in your career. And so I think for me, success is defined by the feedback and the people that I've come to enjoy my pop-up or project and their thoughts on it. I, Sorry. I especially love it when, yeah. Just quick, do you have a feedback question that gets better answers than others? So the feedback is actually pretty open-ended, like at least from talk, it's pretty generic. It does just have like, I think it's like five different smiley faces <laughs> and then it'll warrant them if they have any additional comments. But most people have things to say, you know, and that's something I've, I've come to learn. Like everyone has an opinion. You just have to ask for it. And uh, I do enjoy reading through those and I try to respond to each and every one. But yeah, I think success is defined very much by the people that have come and enjoyed the experience. It's a Saturday morning, your first day of your weekend, and you kind of step into your kitchen. How do you make your eggs for yourself? Oh, I think for eggs, I'll probably go something easy and just do scrambled. That's kind of how I like my eggs. Soft? Do you go like cook them all the way hard? Like scramble preference? Yeah. So I I like to kind of go somewhere in between, like not too hard, but like soft and mushy enough or like I can have it with like bacon or something. Or if I want to make it into a sandwich, it's it's pretty versatile that way. Is there a book that's going to be about management, can be about design, can be about entrepreneurship, can even be about food or beverage? Is there a book that's been particularly impactful for you in your career? I mean, I didn't know it at the time, but I think looking back, setting the table has always been a classic for me. And I think it's timeless. I think it was written in like 2006, but a lot of things still hold true to this day. So I used to read that like crazy and they're kind of like my Bible almost. So I think that's, not, that's definitely a recommended read. I know Will just released his new book. I can't wait till I get my hands on that. I would recommend it either. So for, for me, like those restaurant books are great, but there's a ton of great leadership management books out there too that I can't remember on the top of my head, but like Seth, Seth Golden has a lot of great books. But yeah, I think it's important to, to always be reading. What's something that doesn't end up on your Instagram, as in you don't share it very publicly or widely that you're into it, but you still get excited about it or, or love it? I just adopted a, a rescue, like a pup, like five, I, I, think, I think it's like five months. I always thought that people that watch dog content on Instagram were fools and just like, we have literally nothing better to do. But then like at one point I realized I'm that person. So it's not something <laughs> that I'm very proud of it, from my former self, but here I am, you know, like my reels are all just dogs now. Yeah. Listen, man, in Seattle, the stat is that there are more dogs than there are children in the city i believe that i believe that they're adorable uh, yeah yeah i mean that might be the the answer to this question but you know usually you you can go deeper on this if you want what's one thing you've changed your mind on in recent memory change my mind on on recent memory hmm oh la i actually thought la was horrible hated la when i used to live in new york go to school in new york work in new york i hated always shat on it i thought it was the worst place on earth thought i would never move there here I am two years later. Love it. So it is. that was a big change of 
change of pace and change of mind for me. Is there a, a concept or a, a style? So, like, I'm thinking of, like, the before Chipotle, like, sure, there were, like, concepts that were the kind of, like, build your own whatever. But then yeah. for whatever, like, timing, operational savvy, the state of, of cities at that time, Chipotle could become Chipotle. Is there a style of concept that you've either seen in the underbelly of places that you're like, that's really underrated? Or if done well, that could that could crush? Underrated, but also just a future of just chef's counters. I think Got that's it. always been something that, that needs to, more people need to adopt it, man. Chefs doubling as servers. You somehow get a call right after this interview that you've just won an all-expenses-paid trip to eat at your dream restaurant. And when you get there, there's someone you've always wanted to speak with waiting to have dinner with you. What is that restaurant and who is that person? Oh, that's a good one. So many people that I want to meet right now. <laughs> I mean, restaurant, I mean, I, I, I've actually, you know, I, I joined Atomix because I dined there first as a, as a guest. Loved my experience. And I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to enjoy it again. It was like a super out-of-body experience for me. So Atomix probably in the corner so I can talk to this person. The person I would want to talk to is I, will, I will want to talk to Will and kind of pick his brain a little bit more about like what the hell really happened. No one really knows what happened unless you're right with them but like the whole empire came crashing down you know and nomads are gone and i don't know i would just kind of love to hear the truth about what okay to speak on this for two seconds because i i feel the same way about chef daniel like he it's so easy to dunk on that guy right now because he's walking around in <laughs> designer coats and he went know, vegan the, the and shoes. he's losing oh, staff yeah. yeah he's losing staff and world's 50 like yeah. all all of it all Making of it, it, it yeah. but hey like well, can we just talk like chef to chef for a second? Like, can can we hear your side? Like, it, so and, and I also I've I've been trying to you know slide in Will's DMs too because I would love to talk to Will as his book comes oh, out yeah? if he's doing a media okay. tour thing. Like, if oh, you get yeah. a chance to talk to Will, on, are you, w would you have Will on your podcast? No, he's not Asian, unfortunately. So yeah, <laughs> got it, got it. I was just curious. I was just curious, man, because yeah. you know I I, I would assume no, I your guys' conversation would be awesome. You know. Yeah, no, maybe maybe like a special one-off episode, but yeah. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Uh, you might have spoken on this already. What do you think chefs can be doing better to help the next generation? Is kind of a, a a last question that I like to ask folks, just because that's 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 where I came from. That's my audience, and I think regardless of your kitchen experience, I think that because you've worked so closely with chefs, you you're perfectly qualified to weigh in on this too. Yeah, I think I've seen some great chefs and bad chefs. The the great ones, what I realized is they really mentor the people coming up. They really take the time to sit down and have a conversation. They don't scream at them, obviously. And uh, I think we can see, I think chefs just have to be a little more cultivating. But I think we can all do a better job in trying to like pass on the torch and teach the next generation. Arnold, where do you want to send folks? Where can people go follow you? This is just huge appreciation and kudos to you for for what you're working on and what you do for the industry and just wishing you continued success and yeah just, it's been an honor to have you on the show i appreciate you man yep you can follow me on instagram at arnold beyond my full name uh, there's two brands or companies i currently operate one is with one welcome the other is mom mom just branched off into kind of two different things as well so there's mom.market the other one's mom.journalstore Mom Market is a monthly pop-up around LA, and the other general store is the first brick and mortar that we opened in Pasadena, California.
The only bad part about that interview is that we couldn't have gotten more time. I'm really, really excited to potentially have a part two with Arnold in the future. Again, as I shared at the top of this conversation, I really respect him a lot. And if you haven't gotten a chance to get some branding inspiration from the types of marketing materials that Arnold puts out, I highly, highly recommend you give him a follow. It's just such inspiring uh, presentations of of food and thinking about events and infusing hospitality into things like pop-up that for a lot of us can feel a little rough and tumble, but not with, with, with Arnold, certainly. If you want to check out the Repertoire flagship educational product right now, I'd highly recommend you check out Total Station Nomination. It's all about becoming a higher performer in professional kitchens. It's all the lessons that I kind of take away and look at when I'm looking at someone who's working a station at a restaurant, and I say, do they possess this? Are they well-developed in that? Have they thought about this yet? And with a lot of those, if, if the answer is no, it's it's no wonder that you're finding that you can't get ahead or that you've plateaued or that you're not getting chosen for a management position. And so instead of just, you know, waxing on poetically about it, I made a whole course about it. It's available in the description or at joinrepertoire.com slash TSD. My name is Justin Kana. It's really been great to have you with me for this episode. Roll the outro. Well, well, here we are together again at the end of another episode of the Repertoire Podcast. If this is your first time listening, this is a show for hospitality creators who want to think better, increase their performance, and believe that it's possible to take lessons from what others have already learned. I am your host, Justin Kana, and if you're new here, I'd like to personally welcome you to the show. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Friendly heads up to check out the show notes inside of the description of this podcast if you want to check out previous guests, links to specifics that got brought up in this episode, as well as other helpful content that we create and share here online because everything we do is focused on helping you along your journey. If you don't have a ton of time, the best place to start is with some value sent straight to your inbox every single week. It's called the Repertoire Newsletter, where we share knowledge on sharpening your skills, asymmetric upside, and exploring the industry beyond the status quo. If you subscribe, we'll keep you up to date on trends that are shaping the hospitality creator ecosystem. We'll share discounts on gear that we find, as well as content that we've been producing ourselves and helpful articles that we've already read and decided are worth your time. Last up, if you want to connect with other other industry professionals in the Repertoire Pro community. You want to check out courses like Total Station Domination or download free tools that we've created. You can learn more at joinrepertoire.com. That's J-O-I-N-R-E-P-E-R-T-O-I-R-E.com. The only ask from me is that if you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate a review of this show on Apple Podcasts as well as Spotify to help the podcast universe know that people like us like shows like this. Regardless, I'll see you in the next episode. My name is Justin Kana, and I hope Hope you have a good one.